I think it's appropriate on Father's Day that we think about challenges, quests. Maybe not all men enjoy them, but many of us enjoy being challenged. And all of us, men, women, young people, we all need challenges and encouragement to go on and to reach. And so I was thinking this week about some of the great quests like King Arthur's knights searching for the Holy Grail, Christopher Columbus looking for a way through to the West Indies, Don Quixote doing his quest and fighting windmills, Frodo with the quest to destroy the Ring of Power, Indiana Jones looking for the Ark of the Covenant, Arctic explorers looking for the North Pole or other things in the Arctic, Or the astronauts of Apollo 11 with the first moon landing. Quests and challenges are part of life and it's good for us to be reminded to keep moving. Last week, we saw Israel had a quest. Israel had a challenge to take the land that God had provided for them. And we saw that some of them responded poorly with complacency and discontent, but others trusted in the promises of God and obeyed faithfully. People like Joshua, people like the five orphan daughters of Zelophehad, and one other person that we skipped over last week that I told you we would come to this week, and that's the man known as Caleb, one of my favorite Bible characters. He was an exception to the failure of his generation. And he exhibits those last two things that we saw last week. Confident in God's promises and faithful obedience. And really, you can look at the life of Caleb, especially in the parts that we're going to see this morning, and we can see that that he is a man who demonstrates four challenging responses. He looks at those challenges and he says, I'm going to conquer those. And so he is doing challenge-conquering actions, things that we as dads and grandpas, moms and grandmas, young people, all of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, all of us need to look ahead and say, what is it that God wants me to do in response to the challenges that he's laid before me? So let's take a look, beginning in Joshua chapter 14. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles or on your electronic devices. We're also going to be back in Numbers 13 and 14, so you may want to mark that spot as well, as we think about this man who teaches us how to conquer challenges. The first thing we see as we look at Caleb is that we need to follow God no matter what others do. If you and I are going to meet the challenges that are set before us, we have to reject the cultural and the peer pressure that's put on us. The reality is that the majority is not always right. And you know that, we know that, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Because we can look around and see a vast tidal wave of people in this opinion that may be wrong and think, well, maybe I'm out of step. That certainly could have happened With Caleb. Look at chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, 
And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Canish Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word, Joshua did as well, but Caleb speaking for himself. I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But, contrast, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. So you see a contrast between the majority, the ten spies, and the two, Caleb and Joshua. The story takes us back some 45 years to Kadesh Barnea, to Israel standing on the brink of the land, to Moses sending out 12 spies. And here's where we jump back to Numbers chapter 13 because we find out what happened when those spies came back. They told him, Moses... We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. Look at it. This is amazing. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The the cities are large. The people are good fighters. There are giants there. And so the ten bring back a majority report of, let's not go in. But the two, Joshua and Caleb, take the opposite view. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once to occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who'd gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they'd spied out. Now, wait a minute. They had just said it's flowing with milk and honey. Now look what they say. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. It's not a good land after all. Forget what we said. And not only are there giants there, but all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. We were so small. And so we seem to them. And isn't that what we do when we focus on problems? The problem starts out like this, and by the time we start talking to people about it, it gets bigger and bigger. And so here are the ten saying, it's a bad land, and everybody's a giant, and all the cities are fortified, and we can't do it. That's the majority report. And Caleb says in Joshua chapter 14, verse 8, we saw it a minute ago, that they made the people's heart melt. They made it dissolve in terror. But Caleb wholly followed the Lord, his God, unswervingly following God. We're going to see that in the passages we're looking at several times. It occurs three times in Joshua and three other times in the Bible. Only one other time when it's not about Caleb. Caleb followed God, and yet the majority report says, bad land, don't do it. And the people decide they're not going to go in. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who'd spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which you passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. That's the key. We just need to follow God. Only do not rebel against the Lord. 
And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. That's an idiom in their language. We would probably say, don't fear them. They're a piece of cake. We can do this. Their protections removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. That's the minority report, and we see the response of the people. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They're going to kill them for following God instead of going with the majority. But Caleb and Joshua said, God is with us, and he demonstrates he was with them. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel, and that stops the stoning in its tracks. God does protect Caleb and Joshua from the majority. The majority is not always right, but obeying God brings blessing. In that moment, it brings the blessing of God's protection of Joshua and Caleb from the majority. But more than that, Caleb tells us in Joshua chapter 14, verse 9, what else it brings in terms of God's blessing. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And so Caleb and Joshua survived the next 38 years of wandering in the desert. They survived the seven years of warfare to take the land. And now Caleb walks up and says, okay, God promised this. I want my inheritance. If we want to be a challenge conqueror, we need to follow God no matter what others do. Dads and all of us, our culture is going to seek to mold us, to shape us, to be like it. Peer pressure is going to push in on us. We need to stand for God, even when we're in a minority. Ralph Tedda writes about how he was a produce clerk at a supermarket. And he watched as the shoppers would pick up melons and knock on them and listen and then put them in, his car, in the cart. And he didn't understand why they were doing that. And before you all come up to me afterwards, I know you're supposed to listen for a hollow sound, but he didn't, all right? So one day, he says, I asked a shopper, why are you doing that? And he said, son, I've been doing this for 40 years. All I know is that if you pick one up and put it in your cart without doing it, everyone looks at you like you're crazy. (laughs) You see what he had done? He bowed to peer pressure. And that's probably okay when you're picking out a melon, but not when you're dealing with what's going on in the culture. Don't cave to the immorality of our day. As we stand in the middle of what is being called Pride Month and we see that agenda, we need to be loving, we need to be gracious to people, but we need to stand and say, this is truth, and I'm not going to cave to the majority report. I'm going to follow God no matter what others do. Dads, there's a lot of pressure on us to just kind of give in and let our kids do whatever they want. That's the majority report. Don't do it. Follow God no matter what others do. There's a second challenge conquering action that I see in Caleb's life. But before we get to that, we've got to back up to a verse. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would lose his life 
Save his life, we'll lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying we need to follow him no matter what. To take up the cross, the cross, you know, people wear crosses as necklaces and things now. You wouldn't have done that in that day. It would have been like wearing the electric chair around your neck or something. It was the mark of execution. It was a place of shame. It was a place where people were despised and executed. And so Jesus is saying, you need to take up the shame of following me. You need to be willing to be in the minority and follow me and follow me on a daily basis, even if that means figuratively or literally losing your life. Follow me. Follow God no matter what others do. Secondly, don't become embittered by circumstances. And when I said that, you may have had somebody pop into your mind, somebody you know that's bitter. If we're going to meet the challenges of life, we can't allow our heart to be turned away from God. We can't allow our heart to be focused on past wrongs and past hurts and past things. So you don't get the job that you expect and you become bitter. You want children and you don't have them. You become bitter. Your dad wasn't the Father's Day kind of dad and so you're bitter. You want to get married and nobody's asked or you haven't found the right lady. So you get bitter. You don't get the college that you wanted to go to. You don't get the grades you wanted. You don't get the money you want. A host of other things. All of those things can come in and they can be roots of bitterness in our lives. What we see in Caleb is don't let that happen. See, we may feel trapped in our situation. Caleb had every reason to feel trapped in his situation. Look at Joshua 14, verse 10, and don't just skim past what he says. There's a number of really important phrases, but one I want us to highlight. And now, Caleb says, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. While Israel walked in the wilderness, guess what? Caleb walked with them. He didn't deserve that. He believed God. He wanted to go into the land. And yet he spent the next 38 years in the wilderness when he'd experienced the beauty of a land flowing with milk and honey. He spent the next 38 years eating manna every day when he tasted of the amazing fruits that were there in the land of Canaan for their taking. That could have made somebody bitter. Might have made me bitter. Might have made you bitter. He watched as his whole generation, everybody 40 years of old and 40 years of age and older at Kadesh Barnea, except for Joshua, died. His family, his friends, they died. Knowing that it didn't have to be that way. That if they had just listened and trusted God, they could have been in the land. That could make a person bitter. He looks around and he says, I'm 85. I could have been in the land at 40. 
I could have been in the land, and even with seven years of fighting for it, I'd only been 47, now I'm 85. That could make a person bitter. You know, we read about Caleb in, in Numbers 13 and 14, and then we read nothing about him until we hit Joshua 14. No actions, no words. He is completely overshadowed by Joshua. That could make a person bitter. In fact, I have a number of books about Bible characters on my shelf, and most of them, Caleb doesn't get any space, and if he does, it's really little. One of the most famous books of Bible characters written by a man named Alexander White, and he has a big section on Joshua, nothing on Caleb. That could make a person bitter. But Caleb never became bitter because, you see, he and we can stand strong when we keep our eyes on God. Instead of looking at the situation, the circumstances, what we have or don't have, what we think we should have and don't have, we look to God. And Caleb says in, in Joshua 14, 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength then for war and for going and coming. He says, I am 85. It's 45 years later. And yet I am as strong today as I was on the day Moses promised me the land. Now, is that physical strength? Or is that spiritual strength? I think it's actually both. I think God supernaturally preserved his strength. I mean, I'm only 66, and I don't have the strength I did at 40. But I think God supernaturally preserved Caleb's strength, but he did it as an illustration of the fact that Caleb's spiritual strength was where it really always was. That Caleb demonstrates his real strength was trusting God, whatever his age that Caleb demonstrates what Isaiah talks about. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's Caleb. Is that you? Is that me? Spiritually strong or stronger than we were earlier in life because we are following God and not embittered by the circumstances of life. See, if we want to be a challenge conqueror, we can't allow things to make us bitter. Whatever you think of his politics, and I'm not a fan, Nelson Mandela was imprisoned for 25 years in South Africa during the era of apartheid. Instead of becoming bitter, he used those 27 years to speak and to write and to challenge for justice and equality and eventually became the first black president of South Africa because he didn't allow bitterness to consume him. And you and I need to stand strong by keeping our eyes on God and not allowing things that have happened to us to turn our eyes away from him. There's a third challenge conquering action and that is to pursue God's purposes no matter our age. Whatever our age, we are going to face challenges. Young people, some of you just graduated. You're, you're facing the challenge of moving on to college. Some of you are facing the challenge of moving on to high school. Some of you younger folks are facing the challenge of raising young children. Dad, some of you are facing the challenge of raising teenage children. 
Some of us are dealing with life with adult children, and how do we react? How do we work with them? Some of us are grandparents. Some of us have all kinds of other challenges that I haven't even mentioned, but the reality is whatever age we find ourselves in, there will be challenges. They'll be different. But as we look at them, we need to remember what Caleb knew, and that is that no obstacle is bigger than our God. That we can trust God in the middle of whatever challenge, whatever purpose He lays before us, whatever our age is. And yes, we can't do the same things at 85 that we could do at 40 because God doesn't supernaturally preserve most people's strength. But there are still challenges for all of us. For Caleb, he says, So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. That it may be is not an expression of doubt. I love what one commentator says. He says it's hope mixed with difficulty. Caleb knows the task he is taking on will not be easy. And yet he's putting his faith where his mouth was 45 years before. He's saying, I said 45 years ago that we could take this land with God's help, and I still believe we can take this land with God's help. Now, he could have said, well, let's let the younger people fight. I've had my day. One author says he could have been putting on slippers, but he was putting on iron shoes for war. He never lost his passion. He never lost his vision for what could be done with God's help. Most of you know I'm a, a baseball fan, and because of that, I, I've always enjoyed the story Larry King used to tell about the, the late Ty Cobb, one of baseball's greatest hitters. Ty Cobb was being interviewed by a, a young reporter when he had turned 70, and the reporter asked him, what do you think you'd hit if you were playing these days? Ty Cobb's lifetime batting average was 367. He thought for a minute, and he said, oh, 290, maybe 300. The reporter said, well, that's because of the, all the travel now and the night games and the artificial turf and the new pitches that have been developed, right? And Ty Cobb said, no, it's because I'm 70. <laughs> so he thought at 70, I'm still going to be able to hit. Now, if you know anything about Ty Cobb, he was a proud, bragging kind of person. Caleb is not that. But he believes he can take the land at 85 because God said so. Notice throughout chapter 14 how often that theme comes up. Verse 6, and Caleb said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses. Verse 10, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said. The Lord spoke this word to Moses. Chapter 14, verse 12, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. His confidence isn't in Caleb. His confidence is in God. He believes that God is with him and will enable him to face the challenge of that day. And Joshua blesses him and he gives him Hebron. Therefore, verses 13 through 15, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day. Here's that phrase again. Because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. 
Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, among the giants, and the land had rest from war. Isn't it interesting that in this section, chapters 13 to 19, the dividing up of the land? Early on, chapter 14, Caleb, one of the spies, gets the land. And then bookending it, as we saw last week, and the end of chapter 19, Joshua gets his inheritance. Why? Because both of them trusted God and followed God, and God blessed them as a result. After an interlude, beginning chapter 15, about Judah's inheritance, we pick up the story in Joshua 15, verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb, don't miss this, and Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai and Ahihim and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Caleb drives out the giants. Caleb takes the land, unlike most of his generation most of the other soldiers. He takes or he retakes Hebron. Hebron was taken early in Israel's conquest and then apparently re-inhabited by the Canaanites. It's a key city. The tombs of the patriarchs are there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried at Hebron. Hebron will later be the capital for a while for David's kingdom. And Caleb takes that land. But he's not done. Look at verse 15. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now, the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. You know what that shows me in Caleb's character? We need to press on with God. He sees the challenge. He takes the land that God has given to him, and he keeps pressing on to the very next challenge. He moves 15 miles to the southwest to take another city because he believes God has given Israel that land. That's the third challenge-conquering action. Pursue God's purposes no matter our age. Again, in the Gospels and the story of Jesus, we see the same kind of thing. A scribe came up and said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you aren't going to come when you find out how hard it's going to be. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, parentheses, who wouldn't have been dead yet. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. In other words, stop making excuses. Don't get distracted. Don't turn back. Press on. There are different seasons of life. Some of you are in a younger, some of us are in an older season But there are challenges for all of us to continue to press into until God takes us home. It may simply be the challenge of being a prayer warrior for those who can do more than we can do. As Peggy and I have talked about redeployment instead of retirement because whatever God has for us, we know there are challenges ahead. Because until He takes us home, we're not done yet. Which does bring us to a fourth challenge conquering action it is important for us because there will come a day when we are done pass on our passion for following God 
Meeting the challenge well means our faith needs to be caught by the next generation so that they can face their challenges. And we see that beautifully illustrated in the life of Caleb. We need to call others to conquer challenges. In a sense, that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm calling you to conquer whatever challenges God has put in front of you. In contrast with most of Israel, Caleb not only takes his own challenges seriously, he issues challenges. Chapter 15, verse 16. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes Kiriath-sephir and captures it, to him I will give Aksa my daughter as wife. Now, that's kind of what was done in that day, remember, in David and Saul. And there's a, you know, if you do this, I'm going to give you my daughter to, in marriage. And so Caleb says, look, I want for my daughter a spiritual man who will conquer challenges. So whoever takes this city, they get the wife. They get my daughter. And Othniel, the son of Kenez, the brother of Caleb, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Othniel takes the city and the bride. The passion of Caleb is passed on. And, and we don't know, the language is a little vague every time it comes up, whether, whether Othniel is Caleb's younger brother or if he is the son of Caleb's younger brother as a nephew. That kind of intermarriage happened in that day. Don't get distracted by that. Focus in on what's really important, that here was a younger man who looked at Caleb and said, I'll take that challenge. And he stepped up and he did. But he's not the only one who captured the vision. And when she, that's Aksa, came to him, that's Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field, ask him for more land. And she got off her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, it's mostly desert, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. See, she caught a vision. She learned well about taking the land. Where did she learn it? From Caleb. And what do we see Caleb doing? Bless those who faithfully follow. He blesses Othniel with a wife and land. He blesses his daughter with land and springs. And he says, that's it. Keep pursuing those challenges and God will reward you. Let me show you how as I reward you. That is the fourth challenge conquering action. Pass on our passion for following God. Caleb wholeheartedly followed God. Six times it's said about him. As we pursue God, it will impact the next generation. If we fail to pursue, it will also impact the next generation. If we want to see the rest of the story for Caleb, we actually need to jump ahead a book to the book of Judges. Because there we'll find when Israel was under the thumb of the Canaanites, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenes, Caleb's younger brother. So the land had rest 40 years. Israel's first judge that delivered them in the time of the judges was Othniel. Where did he learn that kind of faith in God? Where did he learn to pursue those challenges? Well, at least in part from his father-in-law. And he ultimately seemed to have even more of an impact than Caleb had. Because he judges Israel for 40 years and gives them peace. 
What are the people coming behind you learning from you about pursuing God, following God? What are they learning about your passion? One of my prayers for my children and my grandchildren is that they will move on and do more things for God than I've been able to do as we pass on the baton to the next generation. See, I love the biblical character of Caleb. Nothing negative is ever said about him. He was a challenge conqueror. He teaches us to follow God. doesn't matter what other people are doing. Follow God. And don't become bitter when things go the way you don't think they should. And pursue God's purposes through all of life. And then pass on that passion to the next generation. We may never be knights of the round table. We may never seek out new lands like Christopher Columbus. We may never have a ring of power that needs to be destroyed or search the Arctic. We may never, like Neil Armstrong, step onto the surface of the moon. But every one of us, dads and all of us, face the challenge of wholeheartedly serving God. Challenge conquering is rooted in wholehearted faith in God. So let's be, whether we're men or women, young men or young women, let's be Caleb's. And let's pursue God wholeheartedly. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and everything we've talked about in terms of Caleb for us is rooted in what we celebrated. It's rooted in the cross. It's rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith. But what an example he sets for us even in that Old Testament era. Help us as men, as women, as young people to pursue you wholeheartedly. And to face whatever challenges you put in our path, knowing that by faith, we can look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. Help us in this week, when things pop into our lives, to face them trusting you and not allowing them to make us bitter. Help us to demonstrate to those around us that we will stand for you even when the culture goes a different direction. We pray this in Jesus' name.